to go through it together now. Um, and perhaps uh, the prospect of doing that, going through that passage, uh, makes you think, well, what has that got to do with uh, today? It's great to have seen those uh, baptisms. Uh, we can see how much Caden uh, and Jerome and Peter's faith means them, and Vince as well, uh, wanting to stand up in front of everyone. But what about this story from thousands of years ago and a land uh, many hundreds of miles away? What's that got to do with us today? What's it got to do with what uh, those guys were doing just now? Well, actually, over the last few weeks, we've been going through this book of Genesis as a church, uh, week by week, chapter by chapter. And we've been finding out again and again that it has so much more to say to us than it might appear at first glance. Although we didn't a passage specially for today, the more I've thought about it this week, the more I've thought it's actually spot on for an occasion like this. Because really, I think what's going on in this passage is that it's teaching us about what it means to have a relationship with God. And that's exactly what baptism is about. Uh, The Bible describes baptism as being a symbol of being united with Jesus Christ. Uh, A bit like a a wedding, uh, two becoming one. That's what um, a a baptism uh, points to. And this passage helps us understand the relationship that baptism points us to. And it's a relationship which actually is relevant to each one of us, whether or not uh, we've um, started out in that relationship yet. Or not. And here's why. Here's why it's relevant for each one of us. Because Abraham is actually a lot like us. God said some stuff. He made him some promises. And Abraham had to decide whether or not to believe what God said. And believing them or not believing them would make a massive difference to his life. And his story is really one of... What does it look like to have a relationship with God in a world where you can't see him? And where his promises, the stuff that he says, often seems so unlikely. And isn't that our story as well? A lot of people say to me, I, well, I believe if God showed himself to me. But I'm afraid, like with Abraham, that's not actually what God is offering to us. He speaks to us more than he shows himself to us. In black and white, actually, in the pages of the Bible, which is so helpful, you don't have to rack your veins to remember a particular experience. This is what God says in the pages of the Bible. He offers us wonderful promises if we will accept them, if we will believe him. You see, the first thing that I think that today's passage, chapter 21 of Genesis, uh, on page 21 of the Bible, Uh, The first thing I think it teaches us is that a relationship with God means taking him at his word. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? Well, for one thing, it means taking God at his word. And let me um, try and illustrate this. I need a volunteer uh, for this. I wonder, Natalie, I wonder if you'd be happy to come and be my volunteer. Um, Thank you. Uh, Well done. Um, Don't worry, I think it'll be a good thing. I'm going to give you something, and um, would you like chocolate? 
and give this to you, but I'd like you to find someone else in this room to give it to. But it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it if you do, okay? Will you do that now? Okay, go for it. You don't have to be your favourite person, just the first person you see. Oh, lucky Sophie. Oh, well done. Well, I did tell you it would be worth it. So here you go. Now you can take those away. A round of applause for Natalie. Did you see what happened there? And Natalie took me at my word and turned out it worked out pretty well. Um, children, actually, you've probably got to do that quite often, don't you? With grown-ups, with parents especially. You know, when, when grown-ups say, don't eat wild mushrooms you find out in the woods, you've just got to take their word for it until they teach you about, you know, poisonous mushrooms and stuff like that. Or, um, you know, if your mum says, get in the car, please, well, I hope you'll do it because you trust her. You know that, you know, she's doing something good. If a stranger says... Get in the car, please. I hope you won't do that. And having a relationship with God, one of trust, means taking his word for it. When he says something. When he promises something. Taking him at his word. Now, um, at this point in the story in Genesis, uh, God has been saying something to, to Abraham and Sarah for like 30 years. He's been saying... I'm going to give you a baby boy. In fact, my plan for the whole world depends on you having a baby boy. And it was really difficult for them to believe it. When God first made that promise, they were both old age pensioners. And Sarah hadn't been able to conceive, she hadn't been able to have children her whole life anyway. And now, Sarah was 90. And here, finally and astonishingly, in today's passage, we see that what God had been saying, what God had been promising to them, he followed through on. It came true. Uh, Have a look back at the beginning. Uh, Verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Now, that might seem pretty unlikely to us, uh, pretty hard, hard to believe. There was a woman um, called Chris Hoyle who was working in a, a five-storey office block, and she saw out of the window a man falling past the window. So she ran out, out of the office block down to the car park where, where she saw this person, and um, she couldn't see anyone lying on the floor anywhere. So she asked uh, this man standing by, you know, what happened? I saw this man climbing past the window. And he said, yep. Yeah, That was me. This guy, Ken Larson, uh, that was his name, he'd been laying cables up on the roof of this five-storey office block. He'd stepped backwards a bit too far, had fallen down, landed on his feet, had a bruised shoulder and a scratched arm, and that was it. He was absolutely fine. Now, um, Chris Hoyle found that very hard to believe. Uh, We might find it very hard to believe, but but it happened. And even... More impossible to believe than that, Abraham and Sarah have the baby boy that God had been promising for 30 years. It's a miracle. It's not something that happens in the course of ordinary life. And what good news that is, that there is a God who's in the business of doing things that seem impossible for us. Isn't that what our world really needs? 
Things seem so intractably hopeless. You look at the situation in the Middle East. You look at the situation, I know, maybe in Northampton. You look at the situation in your own family. You think, well, things are so hard to see how these things can be solved. Well, God is the one who can do that. And that's why having a relationship with God means taking him at his word. It's hard to do. Don't worry, I'm not pretending that this is an easy thing just to believe whatever God promises. Abraham and Sarah, actually, so far the story has shown so many times they've really struggled to believe this over the 30 years that they've had a relationship with God. But here we are, finally, Genesis 21, it happens just the way God had been saying, just the way they'd struggled to believe it would. And having a relationship with God basically means trusting him, taking his word for it. And so uh, verse uh, 6, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. What joy. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said it to Abraham? Well, God did again and again. The question is, who would have believed it? Now, um, this joy, uh, the believing God's promises and receiving what God has promised brings is a corrective, I think, to, to, to what we sometimes think. Do you ever sometimes hear the, the talk about um, uh, Christians? Um, you know, the, the, the kind of, the more devout a Christian is, the more long-faced they'll be. Um, I, I'm reminded of the story of, of someone who was asked if he was a Christian, and he replied, no, no, it's just my indigestion that makes me look this way. Um, to, to be a Christian, though, to believe God's promises, is actually to, to live a life filled with joy. Because God promises amazing things. And when we take God at his word, and, um, and his promises, which, which perhaps initially seem far-fetched to us, and, 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 and we don't understand them and believe them, when we take them and we understand them and we trust them, that transforms our lives. It brings joy and healing and goodness. Uh, Some now and some in the future. But that ought to be written all over the faces of every single follower of Jesus. That joy of the promises of God for us. Not as an external mask, we're pretending to be happy. uh, Because that's what we're meant to be, God tells us to be. No, because God has said these things far better actually than he'd said to Abraham about having a baby born. He's promised us the fullness of life forever if we'll trust his son, Jesus Christ. It means that um, uh, there there can be a deep welling up of joy in in, in times of calm hope, in times of delighted excitement, even in the midst of tears and grief, which there will be for Christians, by the way. But to temper those times of grief with comfort and even joy, all because of God's promises. Because God, God's greatest promise to um, Abraham wasn't really about Isaac, although that is a pretty great promise uh, to um, a, an old-aged pensioner uh, that he's going to have finally a, a baby. But his real promise, the, the promise that lies behind that, is a much bigger one. Because not only would there be a child born in unlikely circumstances to Abraham and Sarah, there would be a child born in genuinely impossible circumstances one day to an unmarried woman who didn't have a husband, who didn't uh, expect a baby, 
And not only would Abraham's descendants be one day as big as the nation of Israel, one day his descendants would be a countless multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation. One day Abraham's descendant, Jesus, would be a blessing to every nation on earth. Those are the things that God promised to Abraham 30 years before this. And getting Isaac showed Abraham that he could trust God's promises, all of them in their entirety. And it shows us that too. So relationship, firstly, with God uh, means taking God at his word. That's the first thing, trusting God in that way. Secondly, having a relationship with God means going his way, not our own. I've already mentioned, I think, that uh, Abraham and Sarah found it really difficult uh, to trust God, uh, to keep going in relationship with, with him. When he promised them that the 60-year-old the, the Sarah, who'd been able, unable to conceive, would have a son, they'd struggled to believe that initially. And when the years went by, they struggled even more. They thought, oh, maybe we need to do something about this. And so uh, back in um, chapter 16, uh, they, um, they came up with a, a surrogacy, an ancient surrogacy scheme, where Abraham would have a child uh, with their slave, Hagar. And they had a son, Ishmael. And then the whole thing turned sour for, for Sarah. She felt jealous and rejected. So she sent Hagar uh, away. Well, she tried to get Abraham to send them away. And as they went away, God stopped them and brought them back. But here... The miracle child that God promised has arrived. Sarah and Abraham have had this baby, and with him, joy and laughter. But then, did you notice there's a very different type of laughing from Ishmael? At verse 9, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. He was uh, laughing at, uh, bullying uh, Isaac. And so Sarah said to Abraham, verse 10, get rid of that slave woman and her son. It brought it all back to her. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. You can feel Sarah's bitterness, can't you? Imagine that situation, uh, this mess that you've got yourself into, threatening the joy that, that finally you've got. And she just wants, want, wants it to go away. And Abraham loves her. He wants to make her happy. But he also loves his son, Ishmael, as well. And so he's really distressed about it, verse 11. And then God says something really surprising, verse 12. God said to him, don't be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to what Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I'll make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he's your offspring. Do you see what God's saying? He's saying, yeah, don't worry, you can send them away. What? That doesn't sound good or kind. That doesn't sound like what Abraham wants. But, but this time, and clearly, by the way, this is not a general policy that's good to follow. This is a special circumstance, and I'll explain why in a moment. But this time, Abraham listens to God. He does what he says. He says, okay, well, God, if you're going to make Ishmael a nation, well, that means you're going to look after them in the desert, and you're going to carry on looking after them after that. So he does send them away, and God does look after them. That's what that... A lovely little story of God looking after them in the desert is about God does uh, keep that little promise that he would look after them. He would pre preserve uh, Ishmael and um, Hagar. 
But what do we learn from that strange little bit of the story? Actually, the New Testament, uh, many, many centuries later, talks about this incident. And it's presented as a choice for Abraham. A choice between trusting God's promise and the child who was given miraculously by God uh, as he told him for 30 years he would be, trusting in the promise or trusting in his own efforts, the kind of do-it-yourself approach to life. Do you see? It's, it's, it's presented as kind of a much bigger deal for the whole of history uh, than just the family dynamics. Because we've all got a choice to make, and it is this choice. Either we will trust God's promise, take God's word for it, or we will, here's the alternative, try to sort our lives out ourselves. The equivalent of um, having our own child with Hagar. You know, one time a rich young man came up to Jesus, and um, he asked him, how can I get eternal life? And after Jesus reminds him about um, going God's way, what that looked like in the Ten Commandments, um, the man says, well, yes, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm doing that. I've done that. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, look, you can have eternal life if you'll get rid of your riches and come and follow me. And you know what? That man went away sad from Jesus. I think that might be unique in the, in the New Testament uh, Gospels. And he goes away from Jesus sad. Because his riches were his solution to life. This is how he could have life as it was meant to be. By having financial security. Having the nice things that he wanted to get. And he couldn't give away his money. Well, what would he do if there was an unexpected bill to pay? Or what if he were to have children and, and needed to provide for them? Besides, a, a fortune in the hand surely is worth two in the hereafter. But of course that man was a fool. To leave Jesus sad when he was offering him life to the full forever. If you've got the designer of your life saying, this is how you can be happy forever. You do what he says, don't you? However much it's going to cost you. Jesus says a little later, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What is so worth having in your life now that you would lose your eternity to keep hold of it? It's not just that man who faces that choice, it's us. We all face that. We all cling on to our own little plans for our own little lives, our own loves and habits and relationships and stuff. And the question is, will we carry on clinging to those things? Or will we let go of them so we can take what Jesus offers us? Will we go God's way or our own? Will we accept that God's promises outweigh all of the other stuff that we could get hold of in this life? And so let go of all that so we can accept God's promises with an empty hand. Because God hasn't promised us a really unlikely baby like he promised Abraham and Sarah. He promised us an impossible baby, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be God himself in the world, come to fix the world, to sort out all the problems, heal all the hurt, Fill us with joy everlasting. And he came and he said he's coming back again. 
to finish the job. And the question for us is, will we, will we choose him? Will we listen to him? Or will we choose our own way instead? And you might be thinking, hold on, I can't just give up that other stuff. My child, who is everything to me. My work, which defines me. My relationship with my partner, who relies on me totally. And my response to that is, well, yes and no. When God tells us to go his way, that means thinking of our children or our parents or our work or our relationships the way God tells us to. Let him tell us what to do about all those people, all those things. In other words, effectively handing all of those people, all those things over to God. Letting him be the one in control. Not ourselves. We let go of trying to control them. Trust that he will do a better job of looking after those people than we ever could. Trust that he will do a better job of filling us, fulfilling us, than all those things ever could. Think about Hagar and Ishmael. With Abraham living with him, they were in this painful long-term conflict with uh, Sarah and Isaac, weren't they? Um, Fighting and bickering and jealousy and striving. And um, it looked like there was no other option. Abraham couldn't send them away. What were they going to do in the desert? They'd run out of water. And and it seemed like they did. But when Abraham did what God said, God looked after them as well as looking after him. He's actually much better at that than you are or than I am. He's much better at looking after people because he's God. He made us. And I'm not. I don't have control even over my own life, let alone over other people. Now that doesn't mean, it does mean we can let go of those things, give them over to God. It doesn't mean we leave a marriage or a child. That's explicitly not God's will for us. He says don't do that. But it does mean we can stop living for those things, letting those things be the the be all and end all, control us and trust God with them. And if you do let go of all those other things, then you are now free to take hold of God's hand and let him lead you into life, even through death, into life. That's what relationship with God means. That's what I was saying earlier, baptism means. Taking God's hand, letting him lead us through death, through the water, into life. That's what Caden and Jerome and Peter have just done and what Vince reaffirmed. The question is, will you? Are you doing that? But before you answer, uh, and uh, don't worry, you don't need to answer out loud. Um, But before you answer that, let's briefly consider the final part of today's passage. Because it clarifies one um, final, very vital uh, piece of the puzzle for us. And that is that a relationship with God means seeing everything in relationship with God. Everything in our lives. So um, the, the final part of, um, of the story, you might have thought, is um, slightly bizarre. The scene switches from Hagar and Ishmael back to Abraham in this place, Gerar, with the king of Gerar, Abimelech. And uh, he's had a bit of a run-in, run-in with him in the previous chapter, actually. Um, uh, but here, well, back then, Abimelech had been forced to recognize that God was with Abraham. And that realization controls what Abimelech does in chapter 21. Uh, But what's going on, even if Abraham is slow to realise that God is with him, he's got his back. Uh, But Abimelech realises that. 
But what's going on in, in terms of what they're doing, this kind of back and forth, this dialogue, this giving of these seven lambs, and the stuff about the, the well, effectively this is an ancient property transaction. Uh, this is um, uh, uh, Abraham establishing his ownership of this well. Now remember, this is the Middle East, okay? You know, thousands of years ago, uh, no running water. So water was pretty much the, the, the key thing to, to um, flourishing in uh, any, any kind of place you happen to find yourself in the Middle East. That's why um, uh, Hagar and Ishmael, they really need water. And here, there's this thing about the, the, the well. And Abraham um, establishes that he owns it by paying Abimelech these sheep. And Abraham has his water, and Abimelech is a bit better off as well. But the point isn't about Abraham's savvy business dealings or anything like that. That's not the point of the story at all. The end of the story really holds the key to why it's here in the Bible, what it's trying to teach us. Verse 33, uh, so over page on, on page 22. Abraham, after the treaty had been made, verse 32, verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. The reason it says that is because Abraham has recognized that in his dealings with uh, this powerful guy, Abimelech, and in trying to, to find water and um, to, to keep all those people who rely on him alive, uh, him being in the location where he finds himself, all of those things are really from God. God is in charge of all of them. And God has given him enough peace to live in this foreign king's land and to plant and sow this uh, tamarisk tree. Now, apparently, the thing about tamarisk, tamarisk trees uh, in the Middle East in those, time, in those times is that they would only grow like an inch a year. They were really slow-growing, long-lasting trees. And the reason that's okay for Abraham to do in this foreign country is because... He's calling on the name of the God of ages, the eternal God. When it says that Abraham stayed in the land for a long time, it, it literally says that he stopped over in that land for a long time. He camped out in that land for a long time. The emphasis is actually on the fact that it's, it's temporary, even though it's long enough to plant, plant a tamarisk tree. And the point is this. When Abraham wangles some water, he sees it as from God. When Abraham gets peace... With this warlike king, he sees it as from God. When Abraham has enough years in one place to plant a, a slow-growing tree, he sees it in the context of the God who has been there forever and gives him millions of years in his true home. So what about you? Do you have this relationship with God yet where you see everything as coming from God? This life you have, these people you're with, this place that you live in, this building that we're meeting in this morning. If you have a relationship with God, you begin to see absolutely everything differently. Everything in your life is from God and under God and about God. There's no divide between uh, the secular stuff, the things of the world, and the sacred stuff, the things of God. 
Everything is God's stuff. Everyone, everything belongs to God. And that means you'll be able to cope when things look hopeless. Because God is in charge of everything. You'll be able to cope when things are hopeless because God has made some amazing promises and he's going to make sure that they definitely happen. And so you'll be able increasingly to give over everything in your life, not just the kind of Sunday morning time you go to church, but every day, every relationship, every uh, bit of work that you do. You'll, hand, you'll be able to hand those over to God because he is in charge of everything. Your, your life, you can be generous with your money, you can be selfless with your time, you can be kind in your relationships. And isn't that the kind of life we all want? Do we want to be generous and, and selfless and kind? Well, this is where that comes from. In relationship with the God of Abraham. The same God who looked after him and Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael and, in fact, looks after everything, everywhere and everyone. Now, if you want that, if you want that kind of a, a life, that kind of relationship with God... Whether or not you're already in that relationship, whether or not you've already started it, the next step is actually the same for all of us. And it is putting into practice these three things I've been explaining. And let me just say a little bit as we finish about what each of those would look like in practice. One, take God at his word. Find out what God says about you and the world and your future, and particularly about his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we at Grace Church run discussion groups. Uh, we've got a, a sermon library on our website. Uh, we can recommend books to you. Come and talk to me if, if you want to know more about any of those things. Find out what God says. And then when you find out, test it. Put your weight on it. Take him at his word and see if it will hold your weight. So first, take God at his word. Second, Go his way, not yours. This, is, I guess, is the, the next thing. As you hear what God has to say, he always offers you a chance to respond. He's doing that this morning. He'll actually do that whenever you read the Bible, if you give him half a chance. Whether that's in something that, that you can start saying or, or doing or, or thinking, perhaps something to give up, to leave behind, or something that you could pray to God. But that's how you can take God at his word. You go his way, not yours. It's never enough, really, to just nod along with me. And well done, all of you. I'm glad that you've been nodding along rather than shouting at me as I've been speaking. But it's never enough to just nod along quietly when you're hearing what God says in the Bible. Trusting him means going his way, letting go of yours. And then finally, see things in relation to him. Fix your perspective. If there are areas of your life which you've been thinking that has nothing to do with God, well, why not talk to God about those areas today? You could say sorry to him for ignoring him in your life. Perhaps in all of life. Perhaps you've, you've realised you've been doing that entirely. Or perhaps in a part of your life. Perhaps you are following Jesus, but you realise you've been ignoring him in the way you plan your finances or parent your children, or divide your time, or do your work, or conduct your marriage, or, or whatever it is. And you can ask him for help to see things 
in their right perspective, and so to serve him in every part of life, and be grateful to him for all that he gives you. You see, life is designed to be lived in relationship with God. He designed it that way. And Peter and Jerome and Caden have just committed to those things. Vince has just recommitted to them. Will you? In a moment, we're going to sing and finish. Uh, so if the band would like to come up and get ready, um, uh, that's what we're going to do in a moment. It's a song which half is to ourselves, telling ourselves, bless the Lord, O my soul. I turn to him, recognize he, he lies behind all things. He's the one in charge of you. Turn to him, O my soul. And then half the song is turning to God and doing that, praising God, saying, for all your goodness, I'm going to keep on singing, literally and metaphorically, with all my life, for 10,000 years and forevermore. So please stand and let's sing together.